This edition of Outcasting will begin in a few moments. Like all public radio stations, WDFH depends on financial support from our listeners. Please visit WDFH.org and click on Donate to make your tax-deductible gift. Shows like this can't be done without your support. Thanks, and now, Outcasting. What I've found is, is that the more diversity that we add to the community, the more amazing the community is. And the more we try to make people exactly like each other, the less creativity, the less happiness, the less understanding. This is Outcasting, the Lower Hudson River Valley's only youth-run radio show dealing with LGBTQ struggles and triumphs, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is a production of Westchester Public Radio, WDFH-FM 90.3, in Austin, New York, and on the net at WDFH.org. Hi, I'm Chris. On this edition of Outcasting, David and Morgan talk with the transgender activist Julie Gray Owens. Julie is a Long Island and New York State transgender community advocate. She is a board member of the Empire State Pride Agenda, the New York State LGBT Advocacy Organization, chair of the GLBT Democrats of Long Island, and a member of the Suffolk County Democratic Party Executive Committee. This is part one of a two-part interview. Thank you for joining us, Julie. Thank you uh, for having me. When did you first realize that you were transgender? Actually, the earliest memory that I have of having anything at all to do with being transgendered would probably be uh, when I was about four years old. And what had happened at that time, uh, this was in the 50s, was uh, my mother and father used to both work and they would drop me off at an aunt. And uh, they must have worked late one night and came to pick me up. And I remember my mother, um, who I remember back in the 50s, all women wore dresses or, or skirt, business skirts and things with high heels. And um, we got home and she went on the couch and just sat down and, and took off her shoes and, and gave me the shoes and said, would you please put these in the in the bedroom? Now, Every four-year-old, when handed a pair of shoes, the first thing they do is they put them on. And I can remember putting them on. And, of course, I remember my parents, you know, kind of giggling and laughing and that type of thing. But I remember, like, it was, it felt like a, a bolt of lightning went through me. And I didn't understand it. I don't know why I felt that way. I still don't to this day. But I do know that there was something about wearing those shoes that had an impact on me as early as four. The... Second memory that I have uh, would probably be, if you fast forward a, a couple of years, I'm probably about seven or eight years old, and we're at a, uh, a family gathering, someone's wedding or whatever, and uh, they had given me an activity book to uh, keep me busy and stay out of trouble. And uh, at that time, the big thing was Sleeping Beauty. And so they gave me an activity book with uh, Sleeping Beauty and Prince Charming, and it had paper dolls in it. And uh, with the paper dolls, you're able to put, you know, Sleeping Beauty's clothes on Prince Charming. I think all kids, you know, when they think they've done something cute, they want to run to their parents and go, Mommy, Mommy, look what I did, you know, type of thing. And I was preparing to do that. And, uh, you know, I was getting ready to get up to go there, and something stopped me and said, No, that's not a good idea. And by the age of seven or eight, I realized that I was officially in the closet, although no one talked about closets at that time. But there was an awareness that this was not something that everyone's just going to be overjoyed with. Those are my two earliest memories. Being the oldest in my family, I did a lot of babysitting uh, when my parents would go out. And as a result, um, my two sisters and my brother would be put to bed early. 
And um, I would be up in my parents' bedroom um, with their TV on, but I would have full access to all my mother's clothes and makeup. And uh, those were the years that I started doing some really heavy-duty experimenting with uh, mascara, lipstick, and everything else and became very interested in you know, making up and, and so forth. And as I said, as, as, a, as a kid, read the sports section, then go look and see what the, the new makeup tips were that I should have learned how to do. Would you say that something like this is common among youth today? Actually, I'm hoping it isn't. And the reason I say that is, is that more and more and more, our society is picking up on the fact that transgender is a real thing. It's not a lifestyle. It's not a, a you know, some kind of weird psycho thing. Um, kids today are coming out earlier and earlier as far as being transgender goes. I happen to have uh, actually two children's books that I've, I've bought in the past couple of years. One was The, uh, the Princess Boy which was written by a mother who has a young son who may or may not be transgendered, but who at this point in time likes wearing dresses and just wrote about it. And in the book, it, it talks about how, how the dad is, is okay with it, how the older brother is okay with it, how the mother is okay with it. There's an acceptance there and how I believe in there, they also talk to the school about it. And of course, it's all very happily ends properly. But there's a, I, I think there's a, a factor now of, of people trying to make sure that young children who start feeling the issue about being transgendered, there's something to do about it. It's not something like you slap it out of the kid. You know, it's something where this is an issue that needs to be dealt with and dealt with in a very positive way and, and a very safe way and a very healthy way. So I would hope and, and again, this is still in the early stages, but I would hope that as we go on, more and more young people will be able to come out, be transgendered, stay out of that closet, be able to start fulfilling the life that they're meant to live, and whatever that is, as successfully as they can possibly do it, with the support of their parents, with the support of their schools, with the support of their community. You identify as dual-gendered, correct? Mm-hmm. What does the term dual-gendered mean to you? I like to use the word dual-gendered. A lot of people use uh, bi-gendered, but then there's some confusion about sexuality. To me, dual-gendered describes it perfectly, um, having a life that actually uh, includes two genders. And uh, when we talk about that, what it means is, is that um, I have a life in my job as a male, and my social life... Uh, my religious life, my advocacy work is all done as Julie. So I'm actually running two lives at the same time, one being the, the breadwinner role, which is as a man, and the other, including all my social life and advocacy work and all the, all the good stuff. What work do you do as a transgender community advocate? I'm, I'm first of all looking out for my community, especially on Long Island, uh, being aware of uh, issues that local trans people may be having. But on a bigger picture, I've spent a lot of time uh, going to different uh, churches and, and groups, um, speaking about uh, life in the transgender community, as well as uh, visiting senators um, and meeting with them, talking about uh, the issues that we have here in New York State regarding uh, the transgender community. What specific issues does the transgender community face? 
When we're talking about uh, the transgender community, uh, first and foremost is the fact that uh, the community uh, has no protection uh, legally in the areas of uh, employment, housing, and what we call public accommodation. At this point in time, transgender people can be terminated just for being transgendered. They can lose uh, the right to have an apartment, again, just because they're transgendered. And when we talk about public accommodation, we're actually talking about uh, being able to sit in a restaurant. Transgender people could be refused service in a restaurant. Um, they could be refused a, a ride in a taxi cab. So we're constantly battling that type of legal issue. From a social issue, uh, the transgender community faces a lot of uh, bias and discrimination because people really don't understand who we are. And the media has never been exactly friendly for transgender people. Uh, usually movies, uh, you know, always have the psycho person being transgendered, you know, that type of thing, you know, the, the murderer and so forth. And it's unfortunate, but uh, that's what we're faced with. So we, we've always got an issue of our image um, as well as our, our safety and uh, our rights. What changes are you fighting for? Uh, right now in New York State, uh, we are trying to get a bill passed, which is called GENDA, G-E-N-D-A, which stands for uh, Gender Expression Non-Discrimination Act. That would solve the issue regarding employment, housing, and public accommodation. That is the biggest fight right now, because if we could stop being discriminated against, or if we are discriminated against, we'd have the ability to be able to take regal, uh, legal uh, recourse, <laughs> little swish there, <laughs> legal recourse uh, to be able to go after people who are discriminating against us. And that would be something that would be very positive for the community. So that's really right now the biggest fight. How are you fighting for agenda to be passed? I um, am a member of the board of Empire State Pride Agenda, uh, which is the New York State advocacy group for uh, LGBT people. And we are uh, on so many different levels, whether it's um, having uh, forums. Uh, we have a, an Equality and Justice Day in May that uh, many people uh, will come up to Albany and have an opportunity to talk to their uh, legislator or their senator. And um, meeting with those type of people, there is, of course, uh, a lot of work that has to be done in explaining who we are and, and doing training and doing what we call Trans 101, which is basically letting people understand what it is to be transgendered. What is Transgender 101? Transgender 101 is basically explaining to people what it means to be transgendered. Starting off with uh, the term transgender, which is basically uh, what we call a, an umbrella term, and it covers all people who identify as transgendered. Um, it could be transsexuals who are people who have surgery to move their bodies closer to the gender that uh, is inside their heart, if you will. Uh, it includes cross-dressers. It includes uh, drag queens and drag kings. Transgender people can be biological males and or biological females. I mean, it's the term covering everyone who is transgendered. And usually from there, we go into a little bit more about what we know or or, or each of us, uh, there are our own private stories so that people will get a better understanding that, you know, the, the reality is, is we're just human beings and we're just trying to make our way through this life. And because of the fear 
and the hatred. It's just an extra burden on, on our community, as it would for any any small minority community to have that type of situation against them. What are some common misconceptions about transgender people? Well, first of all, there's a, there's a lot of confusion. Um, if you take a look at the way the media presents transgender people, and they'll try to show, for example, first of all, they try to show straight people in weird situations where they have to be dressed up for some reason. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, right away you think of uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, who's really a man who has to dress as a woman in order to be able to be near his children. Um, if you think about in the um, late 50s, uh, there was a movie called Some Like It Hot uh, with Tony Curtis and Marilyn Monroe in it. Um, they were escaping from gangsters, so they had to act as women. There was a TV show maybe in the 70s or 80s called Bosom Buddies. In fact, Tom Hanks was in that. And they were doing that, I think, because they had no place to live. So they went to a girl's, you know, like a girl's uh, hotel or something. And that was the way that they had a place to stay and live. So it's it's always another reason for it. Uh, we either have that comical situation or we have a situation where transgender people are being presented as psychos and and having lost their mind and mass murderers and, and all that. And the reality is, is that there are a lot of good, wonderfully warm transgender people who do their their job and love their family and, and go through all the things that everyone does. But we never see that. And we never, the media never shows that in any way or representation. So I think the biggest issue is, is just trying to get people to understand that we're just like everyone else. We just happen to be transgendered. Have you ever been discriminated against as a transgender person? No, I cannot actually say that I haven't. And, and one of the reasons is because of, the, of being dual gendered. Uh, since my work is done as a male, there's no reason for me to be discriminated against. My social life, my religious life, my advocacy work puts me in a situation where I'm, I'm usually around people that are not the type of people who discriminate against you. So, I mean, that works in my favor. The closest thing that I can think of is, is that um, there are transgender conferences that are held all across the country and actually probably in Europe as well. And I actually had gone to one um, in Arkansas. There was a transgender conference there, and the beauty of it was is that transgender people were going to be able to walk the streets and go in shops and, and really have an opportunity to live their, their life out in the open, which was really a nice thing and especially great for people who are just starting to come out of the closet to have the ability to, to walk around and, and see things and, and interact with other people and, and shop and do whatever. One of the evenings, we went to a um, nightclub bar and... Um, hadn't noticed it, but uh, I went to the ladies' room, and there was a, uh, a sign of a, uh, you know, the the sign, the universal sign for no. Well, the, someone drew a uh, male plumbing with one of the no signs on, and then stuck it on the ladies' room door. I mean, that was probably the worst that I've ever had. And we, of course, went to the manager, complained, and then left. And uh, they didn't get any more of our money, so that was the end of that problem. We are listening to the first part of a two-part interview with Julie Gray Owens, a transgender activist here on Outcasting. Julie is active in the Long Island Transgender Day of Remembrance Committee, as well as the Long Island Transgender Advocacy Coalition. In what ways is coming out as trans different than coming out as gay or bi? When you're talking about being transgendered, you're talking about 
being who you are. It has nothing to do with having a detraction for a man or a woman or both for that matter. It has nothing to do with that at all. So you are dealing with the fact that you're, you're trying to be who you are. And I think that's a little bit different because especially when you're first starting out, I mean, not everyone passes. I mean, that's just the reality. I mean, unfortunately, there are trans women who are, you know, six foot six and 250 pounds. It's just what it is. And it, and it makes it hard for people of that size to be able to comfortably, you know, walk around in public um, dressed as a woman or whatever. I mean, they should do it. They sh- absolutely must do it. But it still is very hard because people, they're very noticeable. If you're gay or lesbian and you get on a bus, does anyone know that you're gay or lesbian? So I think the difference is, is that especially when you're coming out and you're first trying to learn how to, how to be the gender that you want to be, because there are ways of moving, there are ways of talking, there are ways of looking, there are ways of you should wear clothing, you know, women carry pocketbooks. One of the biggest things uh, as a trans woman that you have to remember when you're first coming out is remember to bring the pocketbook with you wherever you just left from. Because you're usually used to a wallet in your in your pants pocket. Well, your pocketbook is probably still sitting at the restaurant if you don't remember to get it. So there's little things like that. You can be an out gay man or, or an out lesbian and have no one realize that you're gay or lesbian. But very likely... If you're transgendered and you first come out, you're going to be read, and that's when the discrimination and the potential for violence and, and so forth comes out. So I think it's I think it's tougher to come out um, and to be out and to get out into that real world as a trans person because you have a number of things working against you to start off with. Earlier you said that um, you hadn't faced a lot of discrimination as a trans person. How would you describe the support you've been getting? I think the the support that I've gotten um, actually throughout my activist work and, and for that matter, being out, one of the things that has been very positive for me is, is that first of all, uh, like it or not, I look like a decent woman. You know, in other words, I'm, I'm short, so I'm not six foot tall. And I, and I think I look pretty good. And when I say that, you have to remember that I've been doing this all my life. So as a little kid, I was putting on makeup and and learning how to do things. I I think it's kind of funny. When I was a kid, we would get the daily newspaper. And of course, the first thing that I would do would be read the sports section, because that was the most important thing in my life. The second thing was to go to the section where the ladies stuff was, because they had like a column on makeup tips. And I would go from sports right to the makeup tips to learn how to put on makeup, which is kind of crazy, but that's what my life was about. So if you look good to start with, people have a tendency to accept you a little bit easier. And I don't know whether that's right or wrong. It's just what it is. So I've had the ability to be able to at least come across as feminine enough that people are willing to listen to me and talk to me. Um, I've also had the opportunity to have a decent education and things. So I'm not all stressed out about being transgendered. I'm, I'm proud of being transgendered. And I think people feed on that pride. And as a result, accept me. Uh, it may be grudgingly, but they do accept me. And I think that's a positive. You go to work as a male and your social life and your activism, you're Julie. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that feels? 
Well, for me, it feels pretty great, to be perfectly honest with you. Working is working. I mean, um, I wish that I could work as Julie. I think it would be a, a wonderful situation. But the reality is, is that there, for example, in New York, I still can be discriminated against. I can still be, uh, I can still lose my job and so forth. But um, it doesn't bother me to have to work in mail mode, if you will, uh, at work. It's just what it is. Uh, the beauty of it is, however, is, you know, once work is done, my life at church, my social life, uh, my time with my daughter, everything is is uh, in what I call Julie mode, and it's a it's a very happy happy place to be in. Are Julie and Terry more personas, or are they more separate people? I think of them more as a raincoat, or a or a heavy coat for snow, or or or, or a light jacket for spring. I mean, I am I am who I am. That's the beauty of it. Um, there are things that I, uh, my wife will say, oh, you're, you're such a girl about. And on the other hand, I still enjoy watching sports. I love watching competitions and things. So, so there's an aggressive side of me as well. But I don't think of them as these, these false identities or, or not me. I am truly Terry and I am truly Julie. And there's a lot of Julie and Terry and there's a lot of Terry and Julie. And I think that works very well in both cases for me. What do I mean by that? Well, as Terry, I've had jobs as, as a manager. I think that I've probably been more considerate of, of people's feelings. I listen to what they have to say. And I, and I think, especially the way people treated me, that I was considered to be a very good boss because I, I would listen to people, I would work with people, and so forth. On the other side of it, especially with my activist work as Julie, there's an edge that I have that I'm not willing to to take a lot of baloney from people, and you know I can bring on a little bit of testosterone to Julie's world, which actually helps when you have people constantly either being ambivalent about the transgender community's situation, or lack of interest, or just whatever their problems are. A little bit of aggressiveness sometimes actually helps. So I would say to you that they are always me. There isn't, it, this isn't a case of like having two separate people or anything. It is just a case, however, of there's no question that when you're identifying as a woman out in the, the, the world, you're carrying a pocketbook, you are, you are doing the things that are necessary for a woman to do. When you're a man, there are things that men do that are, are definitely man stuff, if you will, and I can deal with both of those, but I, I think that I, I think that I'm actually better better prepared to deal with people on both sexes because of the fact that I have a little bit of each inside of me, and I think that helps. I think. But Julie could like football too. Julie loves football. <laughs> Julie has a pink Eli Manning jersey. Society today expects people to conform to what. Like they think is appropriate for like anyone and, and everyone, even some of my friends that that I have at school are expected to not be who they see themselves as because other people don't think they should act or maybe even dress a certain way. Maybe some people would even say that you should just be Terry or you should just be Julie. If this were to ever happen, how would that stop you from being what you perceive to be your natural self. 
I think that, uh, first of all, there are real trans people going through this right now where they are denying that they're actually trans. And I don't mean denying saying, no, I'm not trans, but, but denying it in the respect that they don't allow any time for their trans self to be out of the closet. In other words, they're still in the closet. And a lot of these people have emotional issues. I, I can't tell you the number of trans people that I've talked about who before when they were in the closet were actually, and I say a different person, I don't mean that they were a completely different person. What I mean is, though, is, is that they were under so much stress there was so much anger, there was so much missing in their life that they dealt with it in a very negative way. Um, there are constant stories of trans people trying to commit suicide because of not being able to be who they are. I have friends that, that like I have one, uh, a trans man friend who, who's tried to commit suicide seven times until they got out of the closet and became a man. And they are not only are they now successful, but their outlook on life is amazingly positive. Um, and they're doing some wonderful advocacy work as well. So I would say to you that anyone who is stuck in any type of situation where they can't be who they want to be or need to be for that matter, first of all, it's a waste of a life. Um, it's a waste of minutes, days, hours, you know, whatever. It's a waste of a human being's life because what I've found is, is that the more diversity that we add to the community, the more amazing the community is. And the more we try to make people exactly like each other, the less creativity, the less happiness, the less understanding. So I would say to you that um, if I was forced into a role, I would think that would be a very negative thing for me. And uh, luckily, I don't have to deal with that. It's so good that things turned out better. Well, mostly it does. We all carry some garbage around in our, our suitcase. There's no question about it. But the thing is, is that if you can love who you are, then you can love other people. And if you can love other people, then you can understand right and wrong. And I, it would seem to me that it's just a logical thing for success, not only for that individual person, but for the community at large. What would you say to any parents who have noticed that um, their child is showing signs of gender nonconformity? Well, I, I think that, um, first of all, by relaxing um, and not hyperventilating over every little issue, um, I always remember that uh, I did a... Uh, uh, a New York City uh, Board of Education, uh, they had a radio show that would be piped into the high schools in uh, New York City. And one of the kids, at, uh, the interviewers uh, asked, you know, and I told him the, the high heel story. And he immediately was like freaked out. Well, I, one time I wore my mother's high heels and it was like, <laughs> don't worry, you're not trans. You'd know it. You know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> just relax, just relax. But um, the thing is, is that um, kids go through so many funny little things with imaginary friends and, and all the other things that they go through that um, I would just keep an eye on it, obviously. Um, and I would certainly be cautious or aware of any teasing or um, bullying that might go on. Um, and, and it could be just within your own family. It could be like an older brother or an older si sister smacking the kid around and, and doing things that you want to be aware of. But um, other than that, I would just say keep an eye on it. Um, if it becomes stronger and they go to school, then, you know, it's probably time to, to start talking not only to school officials, but also to possibly, um, 
uh, people, you know, social workers or whatever that may have access to information and, and support uh, for not only the child but for the family. Um, but I would definitely say that, that this is something that's, that's not a terrible thing and that they should be positive about it and look to see if the child is happy and, and developing well. I think that's really the, the important points. That's the transgender activist Julie Gray Owens talking with David and Morgan in this first part of a two-part interview. Julie is a Long Island and New York State transgender community advocate. She is a board member of the Empire State Pride Agenda, the New York State LGBT Advocacy Organization, chair of the GLBT Democrats of Long Island, and a member of the Suffolk County Democratic Party Executive Committee. The second part will be heard on the next edition. That's it for this edition of Outcasting, the Lower Hudson River Valley's only youth-run radio show dealing with LGBTQ struggles and triumphs, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is a production of Westchester Public Radio, WDFH-FM 90.3, in Austin, New York, and on the net at WDFH.org. For more information on this program and a list of resources, visit us at WDFH.org and click on Outcasting. I'm Chris. Thanks for joining us, and tune in again next time. If you enjoyed this program, please make a tax-deductible gift to WDFH. We can't do programs like this without your support. Visit WDFH.org and click on Donate. Thanks. Thanks.